0: This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now, your News Talk host, Linda Swain.
1: Well, happy Friday, everyone. Happy Friday, Claudette. Happy Friday. Is it just me, or did this week feel like two weeks? Oh, yeah,
2: it certainly did.
1: You get those from time to time, don't you? You get get those weeks that feel like two weeks. like you feel like even sometimes a day. People listening to us now (laughs) nodding their heads emphatically. Yes, yes, Yes. I know that feeling. Well, uh, I've got to say, I've never been the type that's like, woohoo, weekend, let's go. Because, you know, in this kind of business, weekend's... Don't really exist. Don't really exist. <laughs> but wow, I'm really looking forward to the weekend. Anyway, uh, and we have a bit of sunshine. I know it's not going to last. What are they saying now, Claudette? Oh yeah, so the sun will
2: come out tomorrow. Is that what they're they're going to say? No, that's not what there. they're saying. So sun sun is
1: uh, going to come out on Sunday. Oh, okay, <laughs> not the so bad. Part, yeah, sun will come out on Sunday appropriately. But uh, tomorrow we're getting a fair bit of rain, are we not? Yeah, it should end yeah. in the afternoon. Like I say, it's been an awfully rainy fall. We're going to have to talk to the weather office about that and see what, what's on the ghoul. Well, you have to
2: seize the day on Saturday afternoon because so many people are going to, you know, once the rain stops, you want to get out your Halloween decorations. You want to do all your last minute running around for Halloween, too. It's going to be a busy weekend,
1: I suspect. I have a little skeleton out front, and he doesn't like the rain. <laughs> but a, he doesn't a, have a lot Easter of protection. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, bones. <laughs> <laughs> the wind goes right through them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, be that as it may. Well, it's been a busy day for politics, a busy week for politics in Newfoundland and Labrador and right across Canada. The federal government yesterday announced some changes coming to the hugely unpopular federal carbon tax. Well, here's some of what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had to say yesterday.
3: That is why today we are announcing a three-year pause on the federal pollution price on heating oil so that we can give everyone the time and ability to switch to heat pumps. Now switching to an electric heat pump from oil heating, which is very vulnerable to volatile global market prices, can save people a lot of money. In fact, it can mean as much as thousands of dollars a year less spent on energy bills. So the second part of our announcement today is that, piloting in the Atlantic, we're working with provinces to install a free heat pump for people who are making at or below median household income. And to encourage people to sign up for the change, we're providing a $250 incentive payment. That's money in your pocket right now. we didn't know about that one, guys. And for everyone else, We've got an enhanced program that will deliver heat pumps up front to be paid off with the savings you'll be getting over the coming years. We are switching to heat pumps off home heating oil as a region in Atlantic Canada and as a country. And one more thing, today we are doubling From 10 to 20 percent, the rural top up that people get as part of their quarterly pollution price rebates. Because if you live in a rural community, you don't have the same options that people who live in cities do. We get that. So this is more money in your pocket to recognize those realities, even as we continue to fight climate change and build a stronger economy.
1: So that's some of what uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had to say late yesterday. Well, Premier Andrew Furey, as you know, who is highly critical of the carbon tax and the uh, federal clean fuel regulations, spoke with reporters today, including VOCM's Brian Callahan.
4: On the carbon tax, so uh, good news, as you mentioned this morning, we've been talking about it off the home heating. But, of course, it still leaves the rest of the carbon tax regarding transportation. And as you said, this doesn't really help the guy with the Ford one f-
5: uh, you know, 150 up in either Fisherman or Miner or Lager Yeah, exactly, but I think it, it deserves uh, Recognition that the Prime Minister Listened uh, We've been saying this for 18 months to 2 years Privately, in letters, publicly um, So I do think That it shows that uh, he listened I, I don't think the Federal Environment Minister Did, but I think the, the Prime Minister listened, he understands that the acute issue with the carbon tax is, is, is likely home heat going into the winter and heated what I think is the right first step uh, in eliminating that uh, for people who would have to be putting furnace fuel in their house to heat them through the winter, which by the way would cost an extra, you know, extra hundreds of thousands of dollars with for a senior on a fixed income, they just can't afford it. And as a treasury, we can't afford to accommodate everything, especially when it doesn't drive the, the behavioral change that is that it's supposed to. On the Ford F-150 piece, uh, we still think that it should—that they should really consider how, the impacts that it's having on on transportation, from an economic perspective, but from an environmental perspective as well. There's an environmental imperative here. Without the options to change, does this instrument actually work?
6: Can you remove the provincial tax on home heating fuel?
5: Uh we certainly had the home re beat he- re- rope uh, home uh let's start from the top. rebate. Sorry. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah.
6: Uh, people want you to perhaps move the tax from home heating fuel. Is that a possibility?
5: We're always looking at things to help, especially in home heat. We took the extra step last year of giving back the home heat rebate, $500 for those who qualify. Uh, We also have, I think, the best uh, incentivized program to transition from uh, home heat to a heat pump in the entire country. And we've eliminated what exists in other jurisdictions in terms of some bureaucratic operations. So the consumer who wants to transition, and I encourage anyone at home who wants to transition to contact us because there is the ability to for you not to pay anything depending on your income And equally, never put it on your credit card. We'll deal deal exclusively with the installer. So you never really have to see that transaction, which is a big burden for someone on a fixed income to say, okay, well, I'd like to transition, but I'm going to have to come up with $10,000. And yeah, they'll give it back, but that'll take months. And can I actually afford to hold that on a credit card? We'll take, we've eliminated that. So we we can give you up to $17,000 to transition. So the other thing the federal government did yesterday was was help enhance that program to scale it. already have, well, I think, one of the best programs in the country, and that will help as well.
6: I hear you saying that uh, regarding the provincial tax, is thats is that going to be removed, or could it be? Uh,
5: we're always looking at ways to help people in this time of affordability crisis, and uh, of course there's a fall fiscal update up com- upcoming, and there's the next budgetary cycle, but we already have removed eight cents per litre on the, on to speak to the transportation issue, on the gas tax, and we'll continue to look at other ways that we can help.
6: You're saying that liberals look weak, for the federal liberals look weak for removing this tax and changing the taxes. What do you think of that
5: well, look, you know, people are going to play politics with it. My biggest concern, my primary concern, my principal concern has always been the people heading into the winter. We've been talking about this for a long time. So I think it deserves recognition that the prime minister acted as to the politics of it. I'm less concerned. What's most important is that people won't have to pay that extra fee, those extra fees to heat their homes this winter.
4: How concerned are you? Just going to go back to the federal environment minister, every opportunity we've had to speak with you lately, you've made a mention about his lack of understanding on that particular file. Do a larger concern with his understanding or being able to communicate and get your point across to him, given the size of his importance of his portfolio, the environment to Newfoundland and all the industries that are going on here now?
5: Well, certainly we've had challenges with the federal environment minister, whether that's on Beta-Nor or on clean fuels or on the carbon tax. And uh, I I don't think he truly understands uh, Newfoundland and Labrador. I don't think he understands rural Newfoundland and Labrador and the impacts that uh, some of his policy decisions have on the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. And when we've challenged him on that, there aren't, there often are no responses. So, like you're telling, your Parliamentary Budget Officer is telling us that clean fuels is going to have three times the impact for Newfoundlanders and Labradorians than every other Canadian. So, what is your response to that? Crickets. So, when there is no response as the Premier, as someone who represents every Newfoundlander and Labradorian, what else am I led to believe? We've tried to make him understand. We've given him information to understand. His own documents suggest that it's going to have three times an impact on Newfoundland and Labrador than than rural Ontario. So we'll continue to make sure that our point is made uh, to the federal environment minister. But at some point, you just throw your hands up and say, well, we've We've, we've made our point. We've talked to him. We've argued with him. He's told us things aren't going to happen, and they have and, and here we are. So, Do you
4: go above them? I mean, uh, well, if you throw I mean, your hands up or go to the PM?
5: No, no. I mean, I think we have a, a healthy and understandable group of MPs who rightfully take the view of Newfoundland and Labrador to the table every single day. I know Minister O'Regan, Minister Hutchings make sure that their colleagues understand the position of Newfoundland and Labrador. And uh, what is good is that the federal environment minister is just one voice at that table.
6: A federal election might solve your problem with that, Minister. Um, If the Conservatives win, they seem to be in the lead by a good margin. What would that mean to Newfoundland if the Conservatives were to win the next election? election? I'm
5: not going to speculate on future political uh, landscape. Uh, What I will say is that I will always fight for Newfoundland and Labrador.
4: And I just want to say, uh, Pierre Polyev is here in St. John's. He has already said that, you know, it's it's fallen far short and the tax has to go. Um, Any response for him in town?
5: Well, if you noticed in my statement, uh, we recognize that the Prime Minister has listened, and we said it's a good first step, and we'll continue to fight for Newfoundland and Labrador with respect to clean fuels and the carbon tax on transportation. I do think they did make a reasonable step in trying to address that by doubling the rural rebate, um, and I think that has to be acknowledged. Uh, But the induced and indirect costs of carbon tax on transportation needs to be duly considered, especially during this time of high cost of living.
1: And that's what uh, Premier Andrew Fury had to say to reporters today, including VOCM's Brian Callahan. And as you heard, Conservative leader Pierre Poilievre is in St. John's today for an Axe the Tax rally. He's going to join us right after the break. But in the meantime, we have an unusual... Thing on the road. Yeah, on the Trans-Canada
2: Highway, uh, somebody called into our newsroom and mentioned that there's a wheelbarrow uh, near the Holyrood Access Road. It appears it could be near the eastbound lane, but we're unsure at this point. Uh, but there is a wheelbarrow area uh, in the area of the Holyrood Access Road. Okay, watch out for that, because if you strike that, ooh. Uh, I just cringed my eyes shut immediately when you said that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So please uh, exercise some caution there, and hopefully if uh, any transportation Workers are listening. They'll be able to get to the scene and uh, remove that from the side of the road uh, or from the middle of the road onto the side of the road. Um, So when we come back after the break, uh, Pierre Poilievre is in the lineup. This is News Talk on VOCM.
0: Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers. Your go to source before you get on the go. 5 30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings.
1: And we are back on VOCM News Talk. A wheelbarrow in the road near the uh, Salmoner Line overpass. Is that correct? Holyrood access. Oh, Holyrood access. Sorry. So yeah, be be careful for that. Hopefully uh, someone will be able to move that out of the way in uh, no time. Well, uh, federal conservative leader Pierre Poilievre is in St. John's uh, a full day after the federal government announced some changes to the carbon tax and how it will be applied on home heating oil. That's going to be paused for the next three years. Well, Poilievre met with reporters earlier this afternoon and had a rooftop news conference. He has a rally this evening at the delta hotel and he joins me now well mr polyev what brings you to st john's at this time
7: my axe the tax rally which is going to bring together hundreds of common sense newfoundlanders with a clear message we cannot afford justin trudeau's plan 61 cent a liter carbon tax on your gas and groceries, nor can we afford to re-elect him and let him apply that tax on our home heating. So that's the main reason why I'm here in Newfoundland.
1: So did the Thursday announcement from the federal government take any of the wind out of the sails of this rally, or uh, does it provide you with more fuel, so to speak? Pardon the pun.
7: The latter. Look, what Justin Trudeau has now admitted is that his tax is not worth the cost. Look, he's been panicking because he plummeted in the polls. Uh, he is not worried about the cost of living. He's worried about the cost of votes. He was losing votes and worried that Atlantic Canadians were rallying with Pierre Polyev and the Common Sense Conservatives to axe the tax. So he brought in this silly gimmick where he says he's going to pause the tax on your home heat and he'll bring it in if he's reelected. He's also going to go ahead with his 61 cent a liter tax on your gas and diesel which will drive up the cost of food um, because it attacks on the fishers and farmers who produce the food and the truckers who ship it it's going to get passed on to all who buy it so canadians cannot afford justin trudeau he's not worth the cost and it's time for a new common sense prime minister
1: Now, it's not just the uh, carbon tax that is of concern here in this province. It's also these clean fuel regulations, which our own premier, Premier Andrew Fury, has expressed a serious concern about. Uh, In fact, he's been talking about it right up until today and has been highly critical of both the carbon tax and uh, this clean fuel regulations, which he says is going to have a disproportionately uh, negative impact on Newfoundland and Labrador. Have you been in conversation with the premier about these matters?
7: I have not, but I, I there's not. We don't really have to talk much because we both agree. Uh, this is just another tax. It's a second carbon tax that's going to drive up fuel another 17 cents on the, uh, in addition to the first carbon tax. So my commitment is to get rid of this the fuel standard and the carbon tax to bring down the cost of gas, diesel, heat, groceries, and everything else.
1: Is that the only inflationary impact, though, on uh, the rising cost of living? Because uh, people are getting hit from every direction these days. What other measures are necessary to uh, bring the cost of living down to uh, a more livable standard?
7: Well, we need to cap spending and cut waste to balance the budget. We know that the half trillion dollars of inflationary spending by Justin Trudeau is bidding up the goods we buy and the interest we pay just this week the governor of the bank of canada said government deficits are driving up inflation so i'm going to get rid of the deficits by capping spending and cutting waste that way we'll balance the budget and bring down interest rates and inflation Uh, Finally, I'm going to incentivize cities to speed up and lower the cost of building permits. I'm going to sell off 6,000 federal buildings and thousands of acres of federal land so we can build, build, build homes that Canadians can afford. Uh, And uh, that's how we're going to bring home a country that frees people to earn a powerful paycheck that buys affordable food, gas, and homes in safe neighbourhoods.
1: Housing has been a, a serious uh, conversation right across the country, but in recent uh, months it's been a uh, it's really reached a peak here in Newfoundland and Labrador whereby we have people who are now living on, uh, in tents across from Confederation Building looking for a safe and afford- affordable place to live, um, more or less emergency-style housing, but they don't want to live in um, shelters anymore. So what solutions are there for people who may, in other circumstances, be difficult to house and need those wraparound supports, a safe place for them to go?
7: Yeah, this is life after eight years of Trudeau. Housing costs have doubled. And now we have the second most expensive housing of any country on planet Earth. Uh, That is because we have the fewest homes per capita of any country in the G7. Even though we have the most land to build on, there's no excuse for the high cost of housing and the housing hell Trudeau has caused. What we need to do is, first of all, bring down interest rates, and the only way to do that is to balance the budget, uh, and that will bring rates down so folks can afford their mortgage payments. Second, we need to incentivize the cities to permit 15% more housing construction per year. Cities that meet that goal will get a building bonus from my federal government. If they don't meet that goal, I'm gonna pull back federal grants. I'm also going to sell off 6,000 federal buildings and thousands of acres of federal land so that we can build, build, build the homes that Canadians need. Uh, You know, eight years ago when I was housing minister, housing was cheap. Rent was cheap. Mortgage payments were cheap. We can do that again, but it means we have to build more and spend less.
1: And what about incentives to boost the rental market?
7: We need that too. I support removing the GST off uh, construction of rental properties. I also want to lower input costs like the carbon tax, which drives up construction because it makes it more expensive to to transport building materials. And I'll be lowering income taxes on the carpenters, framers, electricians and plumbers that build our homes. That will incentivize more work and more building.
1: We saw recently the AG put out a uh, report on uh, immigration and some of the massive backlogs there. And, of course, Newfoundland and Labrador has been looking towards immigration to help uh, fill this labor crunch that we're seeing here in this province, especially when it comes to skilled labor. Um, What is the Conservatives' uh, take on all of that?
7: Well, this is more incompetence after eight years of Justin Trudeau. Despite having record high numbers he has not, uh, he's not brought in more trades workers. Uh, he, 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 this is a bureaucratic system that uh, prevents employers from bringing in the people they need to do the building. So my common sense immigration plan will make it easier for employers to bring in people that fill true job vacancies that can't be done by Canadians, so that we can grow our workforce and bring people here who actually work and pay taxes.
1: Pierre Poilievre, I know you have a busy agenda. I really do appreciate your time. Thank you.
7: I'd like to invite everybody out to my big rally at 6 p.m. at the St. John's Delta. There'll be hundreds of common sense Canadians rallying to axe the tax.
1: Thank you very much.
7: Okay, bye now.
1: And that is a federal conservative leader, Pierre Poliev, who is in St. John's today. Well, coming up, celebrating the legacy of the Portuguese white fleet. This is News Talk on VOCM.
0: Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM.
1: And we are back. Well, the history and legacy of the Portuguese White Fleet is the subject of a new musical performance composed by the legendary Newfoundland musician Pamela Morgan. Here's a little taste of the White Fleet Suite, which is scheduled for November 3rd and 4th at the St. John's Arts and Culture (laughs) Centre. Well, isn't it lovely? I mean the subject matter. There, (laughs) it is is haunting—a woman who is, uh, you know, lamenting. I guess uh, her lover, who's possibly Portuguese, who was here and gone again. To the lyrics, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) or dead. (laughs) Um, But that's what a lot of. uh, I mean, there were a lot of relationships that were made uh, with um, um, sailors who came here from over from Portugal with the White Fleet, and they used to play soccer on the waterfront. That was right up until the 1980s for sure Um, and uh, you know they were a big part of uh growing up in st john's for certain i thought that was pretty interesting i'd like to actually listen to the whole song (laughs) yeah well (laughs) it's uh it's in the bunk there you can have to listen to the whole (laughs) thing but um uh that was a sampling of what's uh called lover's faith from the white fleet suite by pamela morgan and uh she joins me now well hello pamela morgan Hi there, Linda. How are you doing? Good, good. So tell us a little bit about this project, White Fleet
8: Suite. Okay, so it's a celebration of the Portuguese presence in Newfoundland over some 500 years. I mean, it only stopped in the early 80s. And uh, I remember as a young girl coming to uh, St. John's from Grand Falls and being totally fascinated with the waterfront because it was such an international flavor. And I never forgot it. And I kind of uh, became a bit fascinated with uh, Portugal and the connections. And they are a nation uh, shaped by the sea, the same as we are. So there's a lot of cultural similarities. And so I guess I just decided to uh, try and celebrate that. And here we are.
1: (laughs) So how do you go about doing something like that in, in musical form?
8: Well, um, I have a very good Portuguese friend named Tiafalo Sequeira, and he was in St. John's around the early 80s, the same time that Figuidoff was just starting. And uh, our accordion player, Art Stoyles, played a lot of Portuguese tunes because he grew up on the waterfront. And then Teo of course, knew the language, so he used to bring me bot- down on board the boats and... Then uh, a couple of years later, I went to visit in Portugal, and so I just kind of got fascinated with the culture, and there's so many similarities. So when I had the idea, I got a hold of Theo. We hadn't been in touch for decades, but... I said, look, what do you think of this idea? And would you like to be involved? And he said, yep. And so I went over for a month and did research and spoke to Doryman. And he introduced me to more of the folk songs from the region. And uh, so I kind of paired up some folk songs from Newfoundland with Portuguese songs and wrote some songs. And And we have some stories and poetry that are based on my interviews with Portuguese Doryman who had been to Newfoundland. And so it kind of all came together uh, in that way. And its I, I have to say it's quite beautiful. <laughs> so you drew from those cultural traditions. That's right, and the similarities of both of them. And also, I had Dwayne Andrews do the orchestration, and uh, he's also the musical director, and we have the Atlantic String Quartet, and we have um, a percussion, uh, Bill Brennan, and Frank Fuseri on bass, and Aaron Collis on the accordion, myself and Dwayne, and three musicians from Portugal, <laughs> and also visuals. Oh, my goodness. There's so much beautiful archival foot- footage from those days and from, you know, Actually, I found two videos, one from Portugal and one from Newfoundland from the 30s, and there's gorgeous, gorgeous visuals, and Christopher Darlington has assembled those, so that will accompany the concert on stage. Of course, the White Fleet, anyone who remembers it, it was so striking to see those ships
1: uh, on the waterfront.
8: It was amazing. And also, like, the smells and the sounds. Like, I fell in love with the language, like, hearing it spoken. And also, you know, if you, if you saw some Portuguese people walking down the street, you'd smell that uh, foreign tobacco and just the whole exotic kind of thing about it, you know, just them coming here and bringing their international flavor to St. John's. It was quite something, and I think worthy of celebration and that
1: uh, joie de vivre because they they came here uh, for a little bit of respite let's be clear
8: so they'd be playing yep. soccer and singing and doing it all that's exactly so and not to mention like uh, uh, eyeing up the girls and the girls likewise eyeing them
1: <laughs> so well there's a little part. bit of that too of course uh, oh, there's yeah. so there's some family connections here as well as a result
8: there are and also when we there was a group of us that went to Portugal to greet the Criola when they had the commemorative crossing I think it was 2011 and we met like three or four maybe more uh, Newfoundland women at that event who had married Portuguese sailors and went to live in Portugal so there is that too you know and I'm sure there's lots of women in St. John's who have a very special place in their heart for particular sailors who arrived here you know, around that time and you don't even have to go that far. Uh, you know, a, a
1: quick trip to the Basilica will show some of those very deep, deep connections.
8: Absolutely. And we have uh, that, that song that they were singing when they carried the uh, the, the statue of Ave Maria. That's in the uh, suite. And also, uh, they've kindly let us, the Basilica Foundation has uh, given us access to a gorgeous movie about that. That that was filmed, and it is just beautiful. You see, like the street was blocked with Portuguese sailors and Newfoundlanders together when they brought that statue up to the basilica. It's really quite something. And when I was in Portugal doing research, I had a lovely magic moment where I was sitting on the, de- at the deck, and it was a Sunday morning, and the church bells started chiming out that very song. It is Beautiful. Yes, because we weren't used to seeing those types of processions,
1: you know, Mm. uh, fairly uh, common in Europe at one time. So that melding of the two cultures really effectively a a visual um,
8: feast, so to speak. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And the song itself is gorgeous as well. So we're, we're presenting that in the show, along with the footage of the actual event.
1: Pamela, I really appreciate your time. Uh, For anyone listening and uh, would love to take this in, when is it uh, being performed?
8: Uh, Well, it's uh, November 3rd and 4th at the Arts and Culture Centre. It starts at 7.30. It's an early start, and uh, it's not a long show. It's an hour and a half, no intermission. And uh, it's I, I, I just I'm very excited about it, I have to say, and not so much just for me, but for all the amazing talent collaboration we have there. So I'd really encourage anybody who has any interest or memory of the White Fleet to come. And I know you'll you won't be disappointed. It's just beautiful. Pamela Morgan, I appreciate your time. Thank you. And I appreciate yours, too, Linda. Thank you very much for having me.
1: So that is uh, Pamela Morgan and uh, the White Fleet Suite, which is uh, scheduled for November 3rd and 4th at the St. John's Alt- Arts and Culture Centre. And just for you, Claudette, I'm going to play a little part of uh, Lover's Faith uh, to take us into the break. This is News Talk
8: on VOCM.
0: Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation.
9: If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Lawn every day.
0: Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM.
1: Well, there was a rally held at Confederation Building this afternoon. A few dozen people gathered to voice their concerns about World Energy GH2's proposed wind and hydrogen development on the port a port Peninsula. Well, VOCM's Lynn Mackey was there, and she spoke with these participants.
10: Ivan Benoit. And you're living in port a port Yeah, port a port yeah. What, what is important for me to be here my a fishery I'm a fisherman my son has gotten the just gotten the fishery and it's the waste from the the ammonia the, the whatever they're making the gas is the waste I heard they're putting it back in the salt water and it do destroy all uh, fish like like it's a big company and they're going to do what they want and just this, this project is a little too big for our area but the poor prince is not that big she might be 40 by 40 miles long by say 20 miles wide and uh, you know you're putting two, uh, 165 b- turbines was never put on land and we're used as guinea pigs it, it's it's, it's going to put our the, our value of our property my house is worth 500 grand when he puts that there i want to sell my house for 50,000. And I love where we live, and it's a beautiful place, and it should not be put up there. Because you go down a tourist steamboat, go to the, up on the, the Louise Hills, and you've got 40 miles of mountains with nothing on it and no houses. Why would he put it in a populated area? Like, what is the, what is, what is the reasoning? And, is, and nobody don't want to, G2 don't want to talk to us? Like... To, you know, to see what's going on is just our uh, board putting it there. You know, I thought we were living in a country with a constitution, charter, of rights, and I thought we're a really, really good country. But I don't think we got any rights. I think there's much more communism here. Communism is what's the in Russia, and not Russia, China. And you traveled here from port to port today to be here. Yeah, it's very important because, like I said earlier, my son is—he's 20. and He's just getting in a fishery. Lobster fishery and, uh, it's, and uh, it's very important to, to protect the lobster fishery and that should be protected. That's that's something was put there by the Almighty Almighty God and that should be protected. And like I said, if they don't know it's going to hurt it or not, that it's going to hurt it, the, the waste of the uh, of the ammonia, or l- l- ammonia. Well, it should be assigned. It uh, should be a, a environment study done on that first before even he puts a windmill up there, a little loan to put in the big plan. So it seems like people got no more rights. I don't know. No. It seems like to me it's sad that you'll come in your backyard from where I live and my house is worth about 500,000. My property, and they're going to come a uh, uh, four uh, what is it? 400 meters from my house and put a, a, a turbine that's up off, for offshore. Not even a turbine. This is this is new on land. I mean, this is big as a CN tower each one of them. I like they're putting 40 right along where I live. So I don't know. To, to me, it's uh, it's not. it's not right. It's not right for any government to, to push that on people. I mean, the ones green energy, but you don't. It's a. It's an awful lot of places to put them windmills. Putting them windmills in and in people's backyard. That's unbelievable. Thank you.
9: Katie Power, I'm the energy industry liaison at FFAW Unifor. How does it feel to be here at this rally? A nice turnout as well. It's great. Yeah, I actually got to meet a few of the fish harvesters uh, that are in Port-a-Port, Cadre Valley area. So it was great to meet them face-to-face, hear their concerns firsthand, and I'll be able to take those back and see what we can get the ball rolling with this. What, What brings the FFAW to this rally? This rally, we've aligned with the Environmental Transparency Committee on a number of different aspects that they're trying to lobby for, primarily being the call for designating this project to require a federal environmental impact assessment. Um, The FFAW was actually never consulted. We have never been approached, never consulted by World Energy GH2 or any government consultant on the project. So that was extremely concerning um, the fisheries are a significant ocean stakeholder especially particularly on the southwest coast the fishery there is immensely important for rural communities it's the backbone out there it's, it's what everyone's livelihood depends on So to not even be consulted on a here's a heads up type thing for the project, let alone the detrimental impacts that are mentioned in this 4,000 page document about dredging that would ruin lobster fishing grounds, there's marine traffic that would obviously impact our fish harvesters, there's questions surrounding effluent, we don't know what's being run into the water. There's so many concerns and we've just never been given an opportunity to ask those questions to the right people and hear if they have answers to those. I
2: just spoke with a fisherman, Ivan, from port yes. and he's very concerned about the lobster fishery and how this will impact it. Do you
9: foresee it having a negative impact? The way the project stands right now, I don't know how it, it can't. There has to be changes required. There's just... The, what was concerning was the fact that to us, it had, this had always been to our union assumed, and to me, of course, that this was a land-based wind project, you know, wind farms on land. So the, the spillover effects into our industry would be presumably minimal. But then when we saw this document, the, the marine impacts are, are massive and just to not be consulted we just we, they don't understand from my opinion how detrimental the the developments would be because they've never asked so they've made a lot of assumptions about um, a fishing industry and fish harvesters without asking the right questions to the right people. Anything I'm
2: missing? Anything else you want to get out there?
9: Um, I guess we just, it, it is, it's is—it's disappointing to not have our governments uh, see that this project requires a federal designation. There's a major gap in the stakeholder engagement piece, the consultation piece, and a project, a mega project like this, can't move forward without consulting with the affected people in the communities. <laughs>
1: Well, there are a couple of people who attended a uh, rally at Confederation Building this afternoon um, in protest of World Energy GH2's proposed wind and hydrogen development on the Port-au-Port Peninsula. For the most part, they want answers. They want to know what exactly is being proposed and how it's going to impact them and whether or not they can have a voice in the process. And um, a lot of people starting to raise uh, questions about the process indeed. So uh, if you have any thoughts on that. You're welcome to give us a call. Well, doubts raised over Buffy St. Marie's First Nations bona fides are roiling the community she claims to be part of. A CBC story saying the singer's ancestry may not be Indigenous has renewed debate about who gets to speak for whom. Eleanor Sunchild, an Indigenous lawyer and professor, says that St. Marie hasn't used her claims of identity to gain advantages unlike other so-called pretend Indians. Uh, Tracy Robinson, a member of an Indigenous group that has spoken out in similar cases, says St. Marie has a long history of involvement with the Cree-Piapot community in Saskatchewan, which is defending her. Indigenous writer Drew Hayden Taylor says the singer-songwriter is deeply loved by many First Nations people, in in fact, people right across Canada, and her music and life have become part of Indigenous culture. Others say if St. Marie is lying about her past, it would insult and betray people who did suffer wrong. St. Marie said Thursday ahead of the CBC report that she doesn't know who her birth parents are, and she considers herself a proud member of the Native community with deep roots in Canada. And Buffy St. Marie, now 82 years old, and these questions being raised now, I mean, she was a big part of um, raising the profile of Indigenous, culture and indigenous um, belief and music and song and creativity and all of those things going up through the the folk era of the 1960s and into the 70s and even 80s. She's still uh, been performing up until very recently. Um, And um, always under that kind of
2: veil or
1: um, persona, if you will, of Uh, being Indigenous and embracing indigeniety. Um, So uh, quite surprising to hear this kind of news now. And at 82 years old, I'm sure sure she was uh, taken aback by um, this type of uh, story or approach, but uh, she's been and she's been all over media today saying, you know, she knows who she is, and in fact, the uh, Cree-Piapot community in Saskatchewan has embraced her and have uh, adopted her as one of their own, whether she is, uh, I guess, genetically connected to them or not. So um, it, but it does raise larger questions and we've seen those kind of questions being asked a lot in recent years and in this province I- in indeed as well. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, there's just too many layers there because you can't really go out and say fraud. You know yeah. I mean if she has done so much work and if her people are embracing her as well like that can't be discounted you know the work that she has done and like you said raising the profile that shouldn't be discounted but it'll be interesting to know how this unfolds because for it, sure especially if she knew
1: and a beloved um, mm-hmm. you know iconic performer uh, regardless of how she uh, presents herself, she has been, uh, you know, creatively, she has a, a, a certain integrity and a an a, and a absolute talent that's undeniable. Um, and it's sad that that legacy now will Is be marred. somehow marred or tainted mm-hmm. um, when she has contributed so much to uh, Canadian music, um, globally music, and indigenous music so um, be interesting to know if, if the cancel culture will catch on to that you know it's a it's a big story and it's a big um, conversation mm-hmm. and uh, these conversations are being had all over Canada and uh, North America right now so um, a very interesting story that no doubt will be keeping an eye on um, again um, her legacy I think stands on its own uh, um, you know creatively but uh just an interesting take on it all uh well we will that's it for us today happy friday as i've said before (laughs) uh we will be back on monday so do join us then uh hopefully the news cycle will calm down a little bit I and know. allow us all a moment of pause. And on wheels, hasn't it? <laughs> it has been l- absolutely on wheels. But no, we love it. We love the adrenaline. We love that um, rush. So um, do enjoy your weekend, everyone. We'll be back on Monday um, and uh, tune in then. And um, throughout the course of the weekend, we'll keep you up to date on everything and uh, into um, our your mornings on VOCM on Monday morning. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a safe and happy weekend. Bye bye for now.